Hi, and welcome to the second episode of the Q&A Coffee Podcast with Scott Rayo. I'm here again with my friend Vasily Lesuba in Montreal. Today's podcast will be all about coffee brewing. Going forward, we're going to try sectioning off the podcast into some about brewing, some about roasting, and some about things like uh, coffee and health or other themes. Which so. is very exciting. <laughs> yeah. There may be a little bit of talk of gut bacteria thrown in there. Okay. So how are you doing today, Bass? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Scott. Yeah, thanks for doing this with me again. Yeah, I feel, I feel really grateful to be the voice for those questions because I've had so many for you. And it's always fun for me to, to keep learning in this way. So, well, I'm grateful to have you here. So what the listeners don't know is that when we were getting started, we decided, uh, I've been experimenting with mocha pots. And I decided to put a paper filter in the mocha pot somewhere it didn't belong, and we had a little explosion. So it took us about an hour to clean the kitchen after coffee grounds basically got everywhere. Yeah, so that was fun. Putting paper filter on things does not automatically make them better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's let's jump into the questions. So we have uh, two questions from Mirko Tam. First is concerning the CO2 level of the beans. Is it better to degas after grinding, 30 or 45 minutes, or to grind and brew directly after grinding? Which way will get better, sweeter, or more consistent results? So I think it's important to first discriminate whether we're talking about filter coffee or espresso. With filter coffee, there's really no reason to wait. Mm -hmm. just, just grind and brew. Catch mm -hmm. as many, trap as many of the aromatics as you can in the coffee. Yes, you'll get a little bit more <clears throat> degassing during blooming. It's not a big deal. Um, occasionally you might want to do a little bit of extra agitation to knock out the gas, but it's kind of trivial for our purposes here. With espresso, however, if there's too much CO2, let's say you just roasted something a few hours ago or yesterday mm -hmm. and you make an espresso shot, there's so much CO2 and because it's trapped within the portafilter, it creates a lot of back pressure. Mm -hmm. in, in filter coffee, there's no back pressure, right? Because it just goes poof into the atmosphere. Yeah. So that, that trap CO2 creates so much back pressure that it ends up messing up the flow. It slows down your flow and it forces you to grind coarser mm -hmm. and it ends up leading to a lower extraction. Do, do you think that's maybe why the mocha pot exploded? Uh, I think, I don't know. Okay. I don't know why it exploded. It might have been a too fine of a grind, too much pressure built up. Maybe I didn't screw it all the way tight. I don't know. But um, I may go back to V60s. Okay. So as far as uh, Mirko's question goes, with espresso... If the coffee is super fresh out of the roaster, then yes, pre-grinding, grinding and letting it sit for 30, maybe 60 minutes will definitely help extraction, which will improve the sweetness and uh, give you give you stronger coffee. Now, if the coffee is already, say, two or three weeks old, mm -hmm. it's pretty reasonable to just grind and brew right mm -hmm. away. Mm -hmm. and, and this is very subjective. So I think what's going on here is you have a trade-off. If, if the coffee is extremely fresh and you just grind and brew, you end up getting more aromatics, but you lose extraction. Mm -hmm. And if the coffee's older, you've lost some aromatics because it's trapped in the gas and when it degasses, you lose some of the aroma, but you end up getting a higher extraction. I would say for most of us, most of the time, getting the higher extraction is the more important consideration. Yeah, yeah. especially for consumers. Yes. So second question is about sieving the grind. I sieve my grind and I use just a small range of particles, like 400 to 500 micrometers. The coffee was not as complex as a whole range. Should we sieve the coarse particles bigger than 500 microns, the fines, or just a small range? Okay, this is a pretty tricky question. If there were uh, an efficient way to sieve out the fines, it would be great for filter coffee. 
Unfortunately, because coffee is rather sticky and because fine particles tend to also stick to larger particles, it's almost impossible to sieve fines without a lot of other larger particles coming along when, you know, being, being sifted out. So it's, it's worth trying to sieve some fines. You can definitely grind finer overall, make, use a finer grind setting, sieve the fines, and let's say you're using like a 100 micron filter, you will get a lot of stuff stuck in the filter. You will miss a lot of the fines. You will get some larger non-fines going through, but you can get an extremely high extraction that way. Um, sieving boulders is also a little bit tricky to do, but it can help you get a higher extraction. So it's, it's worth doing. If you're at home and you just want to optimize a cup of coffee and your grinder isn't the greatest grinder in the world, then sifting or sieving can definitely help. So, sorry, when we talk of sieving, are we usually talking of espresso or filtered coffee? We're usually talking about filter. Uh, espresso, everything's pretty small, right? There's a lot of, I mean, probably the majority of the grounds in espresso are fines or, or nearly fines. And mechanical sifting is just too difficult to do because you've got such sticky particles that just, just shaking them isn't enough to, mm -hmm. to separate them and get them to fall through the sifter. Okay. Okay. So, again, two questions from Jonathan Mitchell. First is business-related. I have a few potential office and law firm clients that want to become a wholesale partner, but they're reluctant to keep a grinder on hand. They want me to pre-grind the coffee. I'm already a little hesitant to have my coffee represented in this area, but it feels like an untapped arena and a decent source of revenue. What are your thoughts? I think you can pre-grind if you are willing to vacuum seal the packages. So I think there's a bias against that. I think a lot of people especially think that unless it's being ground fresh, there's no way for coffee to taste good. But if you've ever had coffee that was pre-ground and back sealed properly, you would never know it's old. Mm. It really does retain its freshness. So Jonathan, if you're, if you're willing to get a back sealer and pre-grind and back seal it, uh, you can end up with a really, you know, you, you won't hurt your brand. You'll be, you'll be serving, you, they will be serving really nice coffee. They'll be representing your coffee well. If you just simply pre-grind and don't vac seal it, it's going to taste stale in a few days. Okay, awesome. Uh, uh, are, do you have any ideas of what kind of investment it is for a vacuum sealer? Uh, a few hundred dollars for something small oh, wow. is fine. I mean, you could certainly get bigger ones that cost thousands. I'm assuming he's a small startup. It okay. kind of sounds like that, right? Okay. So secondly is, uh, any tips on partnering or raising money for future expansion? I'm so scared of losing ownership as I never want to compromise profit sharing with my employees. But I'm also scared to dip into my personal savings for a new shop. So this, this applies a little bit to you, Bas. I mean, I, I hope one day you open a, open a cafe and I'm sure you'll face this question. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, I think losing ownership is only looking at one side. It's a little bit how a lot of, a lot of business owners only look at cost, they don't look at benefit, right? So yeah, you're losing some ownership, but your investor is A, providing funds, which mm -hmm. you can help grow your, your business faster with. B, the investor may be somebody who's got a lot of knowledge or experience that you can tap. So mm. he may really help you uh, make your business better. So I don't think you should be explicitly scared about losing ownership. I think if you maintain majority ownership so that ultimately you have the power to make the decisions, that you're not losing anything really. If you choose your partners wisely, I think it could be great for you. You know, as someone who's owned business alone and owned business with other people, I know that the other people bring things to the table. No one, no one is great at everything. Mm -hmm. And there's always someone you can learn from. 
I, I'm a partner now in several businesses where my main role is to do some training and some guidance because my business partners are in their 20s. I'm in my 40s. I've owned several cafes already. I've invested in others. And, you know, it's I have a lot of experience to share with them so that I can help them not make the mistakes I made when I was mm-hmm. their age. Okay. How do you How do you feel about this? I mean, if you own your own business in the future, are you scared of losing control or do you feel like do you want partners? Well, well, the question was, you know, a lot about not wanting to compromise the employees. And I think that regardless of, of whether you're um, partnering with someone or keeping as your own business, I think you should have a very strong culture engraved in your business mm. that, you That's know, point. That, that protects the employees no matter what happens, just in, in terms of for them to always feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing. And no ownership should get in the way of that. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. And I think corporate culture or business culture is extremely powerful, right? And to address the direct question in the beginning, any tips on, on raising money? Uh, I think one thing people miss out on is that, let's say you own a cafe. Let's say you have 500 customers every day. You have 500 fans every day. Some mm-hmm. of those people have money. Mm-hmm. All of them are fans of your business. More businesses should be tapping their clientele as potential partners. That's interesting, yeah. Because I promise you, amongst those 500 people, there's people with some serious expertise. Mm-hmm. This is people who are rich, who have a lot of money, and they already believe in what you're doing. Yeah, of course. It's, it's a huge mistake that people just ignore that, and they just go to some stranger who mm-hmm. they don't know well outside of the business, mm-hmm. where all you got to do is start communicating with your best customers who seem like they might be well off, and you might find some great partnerships there. Good insight. So next is a, just one question from Benjamin Bird of Due South Coffee Roasters. I have a Breville Precision Brewer on the way, and I was wondering if you had any tips on programming it for the best results, or if the Batch Brew Rules blog was directly applicable to it. Thanks for your time. Okay. So, so he's got a Breville. Um, it's sort of like a mini batch brewer. It's a, it's a home, mm-hmm. you know, like a one liter-ish machine. And the Breville, the Oxo, the Baymore, these are all attempts to make a slightly better version of the Mr. Coffee. And they have things like pre-infusion. Oh, wow. But, but their programming and, and how they do it is extremely limited. And generally speaking, their spray heads don't always do a great job of coating the whole coffee bed. So when it comes to buying one of these machines, I advise that you, you actually go try one first and also watch the spray from the spray head without any coffee in, or basket in place to make sure that that machine is really spraying reasonably well. Now, when it comes to the pre-infusion of these machines, I believe, and I'm sorry if I'm wrong, but I believe that no matter what brew size you do, a certain amount of water is devoted to the pre-infusion, and you can't change that. You can't control it. So my experience with these machines is that the amount of pre-infusion water is not enough for good pre-infusion. Mm. Partial pre-infusion is worse than no pre-infusion. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So really the best way to do it, and I'm sure Benjamin's the type of person who doesn't mind going to this effort, start the brew, wait for the pre-infusion to end, and turn the machine off. Flick the machine back on, start the brew again. So what you're doing is you're doubling the pre-infusion water. And then let the brewer go on and finish the program after that. Okay. And it's easy to adjust the amount of water so that you're getting ultimately the amount of water you want. That will make it a much better brewer because you'll get a full saturation pre-infusion. All the grounds will get wet during pre-infusion. Okay. Other than that, you know, yeah, any, any, any rules you could apply to batch brew from my blog post and stuff would, would make sense. 
Okay, but you would never recommend using machines like that for a commercial. No, when I see that in a cafe, I run away. Okay. I, I think there's a lot of people using Mocha Masters, a lot of people using tiny home brewers in commercial places, regardless of the legalities of that, because they may not be you know, legal right. for commercial use. Um, they're, they're just not as good as a proper commercial machine. Mm -hmm. there's, there's something lacking in the extraction quality. Okay. So next we have two questions again from Kasi Almoyed. Firstly, what are your thoughts on lowering pressure to five or six bar? Is this beneficial for better extractions plus consistency regardless of roast level? Okay, so Gazi's talking about pulling espresso with lower pressure. Mm -hmm. um, is it better? No, not as a blanket statement. I think that if you're a good barista who has good puff prep and you don't channel, you are simply going to get more extraction out of higher uh, pressure extractions. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're going to get a higher extraction level out of those. So when I use the decent espresso machine, I can track pressure, yeah. and we can see that when we set the pressure higher, we make the grind finer, and we always get more extraction if we can make the grind finer. So now, let's say you don't have pre-infusion, and let's say you're not great at puck prep. Let's say you're worried about channeling. In these scenarios, going to a lower pressure might help you avoid some channeling, so mm -hmm. it might make your shot a little better. Okay, and, and if we're lowering pressure to five or six bars, any idea on what the the difference in terms of the ideal flow rate would be compared to nine bars of pressure? It, it really shouldn't be different at all. Uh, people tend to think maybe the pressure has something to do with flavor or, or flow rate or such. Really, you want about the same flow rate and, and you'll never be able to taste whether it was at five bar or nine bar. And the duration of the shot would also be? About the same, yeah. So okay. call it 30, 35 seconds would be reasonable. If there's a long pre-infusion, maybe the total shot time should be longer. Okay, so we can say that a shop like Starbucks should probably lower their pressure to <laughs> five or six bucks. Possibly, but you know they do everything automated. I don't know how much channeling they have, okay. but uh, I'll, I'll let them know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so secondly, for lighter rolls, I've heard about extracting one to three. So 18 grams in with 54 grams out. Is this only possible with an EK grinder or can a Barretta Forte still pull this off? What sort of timing should one aim for when attempting those ratios? Okay, so this is, this is a good question. Um, something I learned from John Buckman at Decent Espresso, we, we were debating ratios, and for a long time, John wasn't an experienced barista, and I was, and I was preferring three to one ratios at home, and John was using two to one ratios. And we would always argue about this, and John said, no, 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 just higher ratios just don't taste as good. And I said, my God, they definitely taste better. So what's going on here? And after, after months of this, we realized that what was happening was that I had more experience and I was able to pull longer shots before channeling really mm. formed en masse, yeah. right? Yeah. And as John became a better barista, mm -hmm. his estimate of what ratio he should use went up. Mm -hmm. So one day he emails me, he says, you know what? I'm getting better. I'm not channeling as much. I'm up at 1, one to 2.5. And I'm really liking it. And he says, when I pull one to three and I don't get any channeling, I like that even better. So I think what's going on is you can use more water if you have better puck prep and you don't get as much channeling. That's, okay? that's interesting. So, so if we want to use a ratio of, of, say, three to one, would it possibly be helpful to lower the pressure to five or six bars? Only now, because if you need to lower the pressure to prevent channeling, you're not good enough to go three to one. Well, sorry. So... And then this isn't a, in an obnoxious kind of way. This is just the reality of everyone's got some degree of puck prep quality. Uh -huh. And the better your puck prep, the longer you can go before channel forms. And that's something that 
it's really fun to watch in a decent espresso machine. You can tell exactly when the channel's starting to form and your puck is starting to fall apart well before you see visible channeling. Okay. Wow. And so we know when we've pulled a great shot, because when we pull a great shot, the pressure curve stays up really high. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as soon as it starts to crater, we know, oh, we got That's a channel about to form. So would you stop the shot then? Yes. So assuming we're at a reasonable ratio, we're not just, you know, at some extremely low number, it's pretty reasonable to say, I see channeling about to form. I'm, I'm stopping my shot because the quality of the coffee after the channel forms is really bad. Could, could the descent have the kind of intelligence to yes. just do it? Yeah, it would be really easy for John to code that. Wow. Yeah. So there, there used to be, back in the, in the 90s and the knots, people would talk about pulling shots until the shot blonded. Yeah. Now, if it blonded because of a channel, that was brilliant. Yeah. If it blonded simply because you were using a light roast at a high ratio and the whole shot looked yeah. blonde, it wasn't brilliant. Yeah. Okay, but, but there was some truth in it that if the blonding is being caused by a channel, then you should definitely stop at that point. Um, Ghazi asked if a EK, if you need something like an EK or if you could do it with a Barazza Forte. I have a Barazza Forte at home. I pull one to three shots all day long with no significant channeling, so you can definitely do it. Uh, what sort of time should one aim when doing these ratios, I think? 35 seconds is a reasonable amount of time, plus or minus, if you're using long pre-infusion, the whole timing should be a little longer. Okay, yeah. wow. So, so pretty much, if you're Starbucks, keep your pressure <laughs> at 5 or 6 bar and a ratio of 2 to 1. That's one way to look at it, yeah. And, and there's no shame in it, right? There's, there's no shame in using a lower ratio or higher ratio, like, you know, you don't want channels, of right? Course. So one, one thing I want to address, though, is that when it comes to ratios, uh, it's not only about channeling. There's also how strong do you want your coffee, right? So the higher the ratio, the more extraction you're going to get. So the flavor will improve if you have a higher extraction. But the higher the ratio, the weaker the TDS. Yeah. So you may want a 1 to 3 because you just care about the flavor. Somebody else may want a 2 to 1 because they want a really dense, high TDS shot. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge factor for people. But I think for those of us who really just care about getting the best flavor possible yeah. from a shot, yeah. you go to the... The ratio that you can go to where you don't get a lot of channel. The, the highest that you can go yeah, to without highest, a lot of channel. Non-channel, you know. And, and just, just to add to that, do you have any thoughts about the ratio for milk drinks? Uh, you know, not really. I think people mistakenly think that really low ratios are better for milk drinks. I think I still go back to, you know, using a reasonable ratio, like something like two and a half to one for milk drink works really well. Uh, you're not really, just because your TDS is lower, it doesn't mean your shot is weaker. It just means there's a little bit extra water, but the amount of coffee solids is higher, if that makes sense. So, look, uh, use the ratio that you don't get significant channeling, mm -hmm. and use the ratio that you feel like when you put it with X amount of milk that the blended result tastes really good to you. Uh, it's really that simple. So you would not use a different ratio for milk drinks? I might. I might. If, if I felt, see, the thing about pulling... Straight shots and milk shots is that they serve different purposes, mm -hmm. right? So the milk shot is part of a recipe for a larger drink. And mm -hmm. it's really about how does the espresso and the milk work together? Mm -hmm. And I can't promise you that the optimal flavor or, or strength that you prefer for a straight shot is the best thing for the milk drink. Okay. okay. And obviously there's a subjective side to that. All right. Move on to the next one. So from Nuno Cristiano de Souza. Hey Scott, first of all, thanks for taking the time to answer questions of the community. You're welcome. Thank you, Nuno. Mine is the following. 
How do you scale up your filter coffee recipes? I can make my extractions pretty aromatic and balanced with a two-pour recipe, Comandante, 25 clicks, pouring at an average of 2.5 milliliter per second, measured in a kaya. If the flow rate is higher, the total time is lower and that messes up the extraction. However, when I try to scale up to 500 mil, I change the grind to 28 clicks, kept the flow rate, and the average extraction time raised to 3 minutes and 30 seconds. Okay, so I'm going to rephrase uh, Nuno's question a bit. Thank you. He's making something like a V60. He's yeah. using a grinder called a Comandante. With the Comandante, rather than saying, I'm using setting number 10, people talk about it in terms of clicks. Mm -hmm. So, And he's getting a, a pretty fast brew. Okay, And then he's saying, wait, but I want to scale up to uh, 500 mil brew in my V60 or whatever. And I go a little bit coarser, and I ended up at an extraction time of 3.30. And he's really concerned about how do I, how do I make adjustments for different sizes, mm -hmm. pour-overs. Mm -hmm. So the most important thing I need to address here is that 500 mils is a lot for a pour-over. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a little bit too much for, at least for a cone-shaped pour-over, like a Melita or a V-House or a V60. What's the highest you would go to? Uh, I, I don't have a number, but let's let's say... I'm pretty comfortable around, you know, like 400, maybe 425, but you're really kind of asking for it if you go too high. Yeah. What happens is you, you have to grind a little coarser, which is okay. At some point, you're going to end up losing some extraction because you have to go extra coarse if you if you go with a much higher uh, amount of coffee. So uh, that's that's number one is what's the reasonable range? Let's say that the reasonable range for V60 is... 15 to 24 grams of coffee, mm -hmm. and then maybe something like a 17 to 1 ratio from there. Mm -hmm. So that's, once you think about uh, batch brew and, and V60s is that once somebody goes out of bounds, once they break what I call best practices, then you end up doing a lot of bad things to the coffee to try to fix this mistake, right? So like people try to batch brew with so little coffee in this basket that the coffee bed's so shallow, and then they're grinding too fine, and then it doesn't taste right, and they're getting too much channeling, and... You know, it gets messy, and had they just used the right amount of coffee to begin with, this wouldn't have happened. And with a V60, if you're trying to do like a 10-gram brew or a 35-gram brew, it's just not going to work very well. Okay? Okay. So, so to answer the question, how do you scale up a filter recipe? I wouldn't change the ratio, but I would just grind a little coarser, mm -hmm. and I would just accept that there's a limited range of doses that you can use successfully. So, so for, for example... Let's say if I make V60 at home, I use 15 grams of coffee normally. And one day some friend joins yeah. me at home and I want to make a coffee for the two of us. And I decide to make a, a 24 gram mm -hmm. recipe. Can you walk us through what grind setting uh, on an imaginary grinder you would use for the first smaller coffee and what you would do for sure, the one? Sure, sure. I was actually just dealing with this yesterday because I had a, an Ethiopian coffee that choked. Like it, at my normal 22 gram recipe on uh, EK number six and a half, it just, just choked. Like the brew would just stop stopped flowing at some mm -hmm. point because this coffee just seems to produce a lot of fines when it grinds. Mm -hmm. So what I ended up doing was I dropped down to 15 grams for my dose because I could grind a little bit coarser at 15 grams, not choke at all, and get a really high extraction. So, um, But to answer your question, if you have some friends coming over and you're going from 15 to 24, just grind a little coarser. That's it. Yeah, that's that's really it. Um, messing with anything else gets a little bit complicated, and the I would say you know I'll put a little asterisk for those who are really picky out there. You're going to be able to achieve a slightly higher extraction with the smaller dose, the 15 gram dose. Mm. 
So if you want, if you really care about dialing into a certain TDS, you might use a slightly higher ratio for that 15 gram brew. So you might use an 18 to one ratio for that 15 to one gram brew mm -hmm. to get to say like a 1.4 TDS. Yeah. But with that 22 gram brew, you might be down at one to 17 or one to 17 point something or something like that. Okay. I don't think you should care that much about dialing in your TDS. I do think you should just brew such that you use relatively stable ratios and you avoid channeling. So, so sorry for us who, uh, who are used to say that uh, a EK grinder what difference of grind setting oh, sorry. would that tentatively look like? Yeah, so it could tentatively look like uh, number six for the 15 gram yeah. and maybe number 6.7 for the 22, 23, okay. 24 oh, gram, yeah. something like that. Like, you know, it's really hard to say, okay. but that would be that would be reasonable. Okay. Um, and you'll definitely lose a little bit of extraction in, in the larger one. Awesome. All right. Well, that was um, pretty painless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. We didn't hit the, the question on coffee and health, but I think we'll, that'll take a long time. I think I'd like to do that question as its own podcast because it's a really complex, fascinating topic and yeah. it has nothing to do with coffee brewing. But we got a great question about coffee and health and longevity and I want to I wanna dig up some research and, and address that in its own podcast soon. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for your help again this time, Bas. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to the coffee and health. All right. Have a great day.